0: On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me. It's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown.
1: Hey, this is O'Teal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Comes a time podcast. I'm Mike. I'm O'Teal. Sorry if I still have a little
3: bit of tears in my eyes. We record the- these intros right after we do the episode and we just had Paul Stamets and Bob Weir. Man, for
1: those of you who don't know Paul Stamets, uh, he is a mushroom expert. And uh, I got turned on to him through podcasts years ago and have just been on the train ever since. And I, it's kind of still freaking out that, you know, we got him so on the podcast cool. and that I know so him cool. <laughs> and, and just, you know,
3: yeah. So, but wow. Well, and even to back up a little bit further... Uh, when we had Bob Weir on, right when we shut the mics off, you know, we kept talking and Mushrooms came up in the conversation and he said, we really should have my friend Paul Stamets on and me and we'll do a talk about, you know, Mushrooms and about consciousness. And here it had happened. And we, you know, that, thank you, Bob, for recommending it. And thank you, Paul, for making it happen too. And it's just, uh This was something. Um, It was
1: even better than I thought it was going to be. And I was going in with super high expectations, just because I know him. You can literally just let him go for like three hours, and I'm riveted. Nobody else has to speak. But uh, wow. And the end, you should should wait for the end part. (laughs) The end part's real good, man. It just meant so much to me personally. I'm not going to ruin it at all. But well, it's
3: yeah. deep. any time that we can spend time with, uh, with Bob and, and for, you know, this combination is just, I mean, this is just something that I would wake up and be like, I had a dream last night that Paul Stamets and Bob Weir were on the podcast and it's here it was. So, uh, beautiful. We're, yeah. Thank you guys so much and please enjoy and listen and, uh, and we'll see you next time. There's really not much else to say. Go on and listen. Yeah. Other than, You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And I
1: say that as humbly as I possibly can. (laughs) Yeah, totally. For real. (laughs) Enjoy, everyone. So when I went to India, I, we adopted a girl from India, a little girl. And when I was over there, I hadn't seen Star Trek in forever. And then I saw someone was like, oh, you got to see the Discovery one. Because I think we were talking about mushrooms. <laughs> he he didn't know about you. And he didn't. So when I heard Captain Stamets, I was like, "Nah, really? <laughs> and they said your full name. I was like, what? I call my brother. Oh, actually, my, I was wishing I could call my brother. He uh passed away, but I just freaked out, man. And the whole it was crazy. So that blew my mind and uh I was already a huge fan of yours, you know. But see having those
4: Well yeah. Yeah, we can we can talk about that whole backstory, so I have a lot of information on that. That's kind of Sweet. fun. So.
1: I love it. <laughs> yeah, go it. You, uh, outer space and UFOs is my thing too. And we've had a Harvard professor on that was talking about UFOs and and so I, I like, to me, they all come together, like religion, spirituality, UFOs, tripping, music, <laughs> like it all is like connected together. So I, I'm glad you don't mind talking about the Star Trek part. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you feel about well, him being gay?
4: Well, okay. There's a, quite a few. About a week before they came, they came out, right, with the announcement... They called me up and they said uh, we didn't ask you a question. We <laughs> said we never we never ask you whether you're comfortable with the fact that your character, astromycologist Paul Stamets on the Star Trek Discovery, uh, is gay. Is gay. And and uh, and I laughed. I said, are you kidding? It's a badge of honor. I can tell all my gay friends I've come out of the closet, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it was it was a funny. show. they it was. So this whole Star yeah. Trek thing happened, because uh, Alex Kurtzman and the other writers of Star Trek, they they saw my TED Talk. Um, I have a, a TED Talk and a TED Med Talk. I talk about mycelium being an archetype, and mycelium and and neurons of the brain, the computer internet, the organization of or dark matter. Yeah. These ideas that these structures, these networks, reproduce themselves on different... Uh, the scales of magnitude uh, because networks uh, are a way of nature um, um, elaborating um, not a communication networks but setting up guilds of matter and guilds of organisms that then uh, create a, a commonality of knowledge a body intellect and so I know I, I I talk about this uh, a lot in the past you know many years so they saw saw that and they got real excited and they said we're in the dungeon there's 12 of us we're doing the next we're supposed to do the next star trek discovery series and we're stuck and we saw your TED talk and we're just, you know, really excited to talk to you. So they set up an appointment, you know, I I was up in Cortez Island, British Columbia, where I have a place and I actually built my cabin in celebration of Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> and so they called me up and I, I said, listen, turn on your video uh, recording, record all this because this is gonna be great. And uh, so I showed them my cabin, which is designed uh, combining three elements, Star Trek Enterprise, the bridge, um, mushrooms, their <laughs> rafters have have gills, and there's three hexagons uh, for bees. And I'm really into bees. Yeah. And so I had, so, and the organization, of the first hex, hexagon is 36 feet in diameter and then across and the 224s. So the shape of that uh, sort of looks like it looks like a Klingon vessel or whatever. Um, so they, they called oh, me yeah. up and they asked me, Um, Listen, do we have any ideas? I go, you know, turn on your tape recorder. So, and I just just ripped, you know, on this vein of consciousness. And then towards the end, they said, you know, the, the whole future of terraforming other planets is using fungi because uh, fungi are the first organisms that come to land, they munch rocks, they, they release minerals for plants, and then the algae followed, and fungi and algae came together to form lichens. Lichens are on rocks, it's a dual relationship between a fungus and a plant. Um, and so, you know, when you terraform other planets, planets so you're going to use fungi. And I always wanted to be the first astro mycologist. So I said, astro mycologist. And they go, we can use that astro Oh my God, that's perfect for us. <laughs> you know, and I said, you know, I always want to be the first astro mycologist, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to get there, right? Because <laughs> of my lifespan. And then they kind of chuckled and snortled in the background and so after that they go oh my gosh this is so perfect for the next central theme of star trek is my and astromechologist paul stamets and uh so they sent me a release and i signed my life away i mean i get uh, not a penny for what? this but i said but just, I, yeah i said i, I just did and that's probably why they put me as a character right i was a, I was yeah, a freebie that's... um and then so they, they 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 had several more conversations and um and of course, they get 99.9 percent of the credit because they've built this entire, you know, structure upon the foundation of mycelium. And but I talked about dark matter, how how yeah. you can use, a, you can go into hyperspace, uh, and these mushrooms and mycelial networks allow you to enter into a different dimension of being. Uh, so and you came you up say, with that, wow. Yeah, and you can you can simultaneously. Ex- you know, anywhere in the universe using the portal of universal consciousness, which, which is the of mushrooms you enter. So time, 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 space, is, then it becomes. Eerie.
5: Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on getting real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you.
0: Listen now, go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Irrelevant in a sense, because it gives you the ability to to connect with universal consciousness. And then I, I gave him some other ideas, which I see these ideas come out about every four or five or six episodes. And I go, there
1: it is. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. And,
4: well, and I gave him another idea I really hope that they, they use. And um, I can tell you a little bit about it. Well, I, I think it's part of my
1: game. I got a prediction. I think you are going to become the actual physical first mycologist because I don't know if you noticed That um, the USA and China and the UAE, which I didn't even know had a space program, all went to Mars within like three days of each other. There was like a race going on. I don't know why. I think I know why. But it just it was too close to be a coincidence you know, well, it's more than it's more than just that.
4: We actually applied uh, with NASA, NASA scientists. We visited the Ames Research Center. We went down there on astro for the meeting the astrobiologists. Yeah. And you can't have biology plants without fungi. Exactly. You know, fungi support all plants, your plants. And so we met with them. And then about uh, six weeks ago, we um, made an application for astromycology through the NASA space program. And our, our, what they wanted to do, uh, my co authors on this research project, when again they did the heavy lifting, I just kind of come in with the central ideas, the references, I write a few paragraphs. Um, but they're doing heavy lifting, and their concept was um, to use astro on asteroids. Mm, that the makes idea, sense. yeah, yeah. So the Mars stuff, of course, you can astro mycology as well.
1: Yeah, because you they know really, they, they want to terraform. You know. Yeah.
4: They want to but the, the planet is, you know, with the planets are, you know, they're going around the solar system, but asteroids have this ability of, of traveling enormous distances uh, outside of the ellipse of, yeah. of the planets. And so they're really looking at asteroids as being a, a a sort of a planetary vehicle uh, for getting out out of the solar system and uh, and other. So how do you create a sustainable? We can go to Mars. We can go back to the Earth. We can get more soil. We can go back and forth, et cetera. Yeah. Asteroid, psh, you're gone, gone, right? So yeah. the idea is, yeah, you don't have to have a propulsion system once you're on an asteroid. Yeah. You just need to choose the right asteroid going in the right direction. And then you can make adjustments if you need to, but that was really an interesting concept to me is to use asteroids as planetary vehicles. And if we do that, we have to have sustainable food. And so uh, our NASA application for astro is centralized is centralized on asteroids, but yeah. it can be, of course, replicated for you know other uh, other moons. and uh, so you're, and you're, other so you're planets almost there as well.
3: Once the application gets approved, I'm almost there. will <laughs> tell you what, being a writer, be, being a TV writer in a writer's room what a gift to have you come on yeah. and, and just brainstorm. Oh my Lord, that would be a, that's a dream come true. I mean, really, well, that's just- I'm,
4: I'm, you know, I, um, Anthony Rapp is amazing. I am. I'm so proud of him. Uh, but the first two or three episodes I watched and I just sunk my head in my hands and my friends called me up and going, Stamets, your reputation is permanently damaged. This guy's an asshole. (laughs) And and so I had called up the writers because the first three episodes, my character is really a negative person. I called up the writers going, what is going on? They said, wait, wait, wait. And so it came out that uh, astromycologist Anthony Rapp, AKA Paul Stamets, um, was um, a true scientist. And when he realized that his invention would be militarized, yeah. then his, his whole attitude was, I don't want to help the military, you know, take mm-hmm. advantage of my invention. So then he had sort of this reckoning and uh, I began to understand, you know, that the, the prime directive and with a purpose, you know, of, of Star Trek was um, is the celebration of diversity. And that's what I said yeah. to the Star Trek writers that, that we have the ability... of of forming our future with the narratives of today, we can create uh, the models and the scenarios that become an instruction guide, so to speak, a map to a greater understanding of the importance of diversity, the importance of, uh, importance of, of of the plurality of diversity supports the commons. So we have a better ability and skill sets, just like with the guilds of microorganisms, when you denature nature, you lose biodiversity and you lose organisms that might have certain genomic sequences that could break down a, a pesticide, a hydrocarbon, a toxic waste, enable the flourishing of plants or a keystone species that opens up a whole new vein in, uh, in sustainability of ecosystems. And we don't know what those talents are right now because we're still Neanderthals with nuclear weapons. We just don't have the full understanding of the importance of each organism and what the skill sets are. So keeping these guilds and keeping these biodiverse ecosystems intact a la even in star trek even in our ecosystem is a model for us to have a um, not only survival but be able to evolve into a higher state of being a higher state of consciousness a higher state of humanity and this is what i think psilocybin mushrooms do so they even have an episode of yeah. The soul side mushrooms. Which, and after and after after Anthony Rapp, he gets 11, after he merged, he becomes a very affable, friendly, likable person. Right. So I think that was, okay, they got that. Once you try uh, Absolutely. <laughs> right.
1: It's so true though. It's what this, it's what our country and world so. needs. It's like, <laughs> it's just a profit motive. And it's like, why would you let any being on this planet not have like the best education that it could get aside from just food, shelter and, you know, all those things because that person could cure this or discover that. Like you just don't know the potentials there for our evolution to move forward faster, for us to just thrive way more than we are. Uh, We could be creating an Eden instead of just like sucking the, Fucking planet well, we can, dry, we can you know?
3: create, we could create an Eden in between our, our ears too. like get out of our own way. I think that's but the, that's how it starts. That's the yeah. most important part. And I think that's been, you know, something that's been extremely exciting for me. And what I've been dying to talk with you about Paul is, is the, you know, there's something you said recently, there was people medicine versus profit medicine. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love that concept. Um, you know, in a world where, you know, so many people are, Kind of handed anti anxieties or antidepressants or something that just sort of mutes them or takes a little bit of the you know softens the edges um, when when really it's a that's a plan for them to stay on it for the long term we're not changing anything we're just softening you know the the experience the idea of kind of taking a a dose or a micro dose and you know whether it's in tandem with therapy or meditation. Is such an unbelievably promising, you know, notion. And, it, and it's amazing that it's, and I'm very excited that it's getting the attention that it really deserves. Finally.
4: Well, it's, um, you know, it's, and it's, for those people listening who have not um, seen the massive surge in research, there's over 40 institutions that have approved uh, clinical studies for mm-hmm. Um Now for They go through what's called the institutional review boards. They go through, in this case, the United States, the FDA, and Canada Health. Uh, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, you know, it's the best universities, uh, medical universities in the world. And in order to get approval, you have to make sure that the substance is non-toxic. Well, psilocybin turns out to be one of the most non-toxic drugs ever analyzed. Um, that set itself apart from all others, um, it has to, be to meet a critical need. And, Mike, that's what you just alluded to. If you have depression and are taking anti antidepressive medicines, they're largely ineffective after about eight weeks. And they themselves kind of dumb you down. Uh, I know this from yeah, personal so. experiences in my family. Um, and it has to... Um, be addressing and similar to number two um, a, a critical therapeutic need for which other medicines uh, are are not addressing um uh, so and in this case the psilocybin mushroom this has got a multi-thousand year history of use the other thing which many people may not know well most of you have tripped now is a four hour six hour experience so that conforms to an eight hour work day for physicians <laughs> Whereas LSD is 12 to 16 hours, right? And um, that's beyond the eight-hour workday. So from a clinical setting point of view, you can bring in a patient at 8 o'clock in the morning. They can leave at 5 in the afternoon and uh, conforms to the, to the clinical workday of the physicians doing the studies. I mean, things like that have actually Absolutely. have a practical significance value uh, moreover. so the, as, But there's a, the, the, the benefits of the clinical studies that I've mentioned. And um, I populate a website that's unbranded just for scientists and intellectually curious people. It's uh, called mushroomreferences.com. You can go and there's like 48 studies on psilocybin. You can look up uh, so people feel free to go in there. You can look at the medicinal properties of mushrooms. But the the summary take home is uh, treatment of addiction from one psilocybin experience or two. More than a 60% uh, 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 um, of people who are addicted to cigarettes are no longer addicted 12 months uh, later. With the most addictive substance is known. Uh, the other, of course, the op- opioid uh, pandemic. There's lots of studies that are addressing that. Some of these are uh, don't have. I mean, for 60% of the people to kick cigarettes is extraordinarily uh, powerful. Um, Think about, and then the people who um, are no longer are suffering from PTSD. And what has come out of the John Hopkins studies, um, one that's often quoted is 14 months later, and and going back and speaking to the the patient, the family, the friends, their business associates, uh, they see a a significant improvement in their attitude. And the patients, when they re-remember, the experience, the re-remembering of the experience. And with PTSD uh, patients, it's been theorized that, you know, reliving trauma even is very difficult. And even the therapists are very skilled at this and trying to unravel and let the patient, you know, uh, deal with the trauma uh, by reliving it. Well, that's a long, long haul. And if it was psilocybin therapeutically under a clinical setting with good therapists, they're able to leapfrog through years of potential therapy with one four to six hour session. And then the patients, in this case, 14 months later, by re-remembering their psilocybin session that was dealing with the PTSD, it overlays as being the primary memory. That they now remember the resolution of the PTSD, as opposed to the PSD being this big dark yeah. cloud, you know, uh, that's constantly uh, behind them. So that's that. So the the PTSD, the addiction, the the there's these meta studies that my partner Dr. Pam Crisco, she's a founder of the Canadian Psychedelic Association. You met her, Othiel. Um, and she's been very much involved in these meta studies. Um, In the meta studies, uh, there are retroactive studies looking at surveys, in the one case with prisoners. And they analyze what drugs have you taken? And they dived into the meta study and they found that the psilocybin users had like a 16 to 22 to 27% reduction uh, of larceny, burglary, and violent crime. Yeah. Think of that. Now, association, we could be argued, is not causation. But then, the, the other studies show if one of your, your partner has tripped on psilocybin, there's a statistically significant reduction in partner to partner violence. Mm, wow. So, that, that's significant. Um, yeah. And when you, yeah. So, when you start looking at these meta studies, you start being able to see that the therapeutic benefits of psilocybin. Um, I um, have many ramifications throughout society. Hey, Bobby. Hey.
6: Hi, Bob. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, you know, I'm doing just fine. Sorry, I'm late. I got, uh, I was woodshitting.
3: That's okay. Yeah, we, were, I, we were just talking to Paul about the Super Bowl. So uh, you weren't missing anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you, Bob. Yeah. You're looking good, man. Thank you. I got a
6: project going on right now. We got a show coming up on uh, on on Friday evening, and uh, and I got to do a lot of woodshedding for this for this show. And uh, the Super Bowl was an excellent opportunity because there was really nothing to watch except <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so well, true. I I
4: I was ashamed when President Biden asked for a one minute of silence for the four hundred and forty thousand americans who died from covid and there are people in the audience booing
1: really i didn't hear that but i also wasn't watching i
4: i I was so hurt by that i said wtf where's the humanity and empathy it doesn't matter where you are politically we have 440,000 americans die and you want a moment of silence and people booed i mean it's yeah. just time for us to evolve to a higher state of consciousness, you know? And we, we it's a lesson on how not to act. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's good. Maybe it's good that we have such a great contrast because I think it's a time for the human species to evolve to a higher state of being.
1: Yeah, I think also- it's really great that every, that this kind of thing is being revealed. The pandemic has been good for that because now it's not just like, oh, it's your propaganda against my propaganda. It's like, look, Four hundred some thousand people died, and you just booed. But if it was nine eleven, and it was like two thousand something,
3: you'd be all you know. Well, like, it's also what happens when you serve a trash can full of beer too. Every glass of beer is about seventy five ounces, <laughs> so it's you yeah. know but, it's it's. Sad. But you know it, it, the, the great
4: thing, and Bobby, what the dead have done so well, and I, I applaud you for for. Really, setting a standard of cooperation and love and community, um, and I was a good friend of Ken Kesey, you know, and the Kesey family. And Kesey's skill was being because he looked so straight, you know, and he loved going up to law enforcement officers and finding commonality of opinion, you know, and engaging them. And
3: never so trust and the, the debt is, uh,
4: Yeah, the, the, the dead have really set that, you know, a, really a higher path of um, of empathy and humanity and kindness and that's been a big influence in my life is to go forward in life with courage and kindness and um we don't have to politicize you know there are times we have to step up to the plate it's important we do um but so much of us we can demonstrate by our actions um of of a better path for people to follow because we can blaze that trail and the dead the dead have done that the dead have done that better than than any social group that I know of.
1: So, yeah, thank you, Bob, Worthy. for thank that. You.
4: But I'm prejudiced,
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. Why do you think it is that mushrooms create that extra empathy? Is it just how it just interacts with our consciousness? Because, Bob, I know you personally, I want to speak for you, but it seems to me like you prefer mushrooms over alternatives.
6: <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 I like mushrooms, uh, you know, there's a lot of time on the road, uh, a lot of time. there are a lot of times on the road when I just don't get enough sleep. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I stay too busy or I just don't sleep. You know, I wake up too early or whatever. And uh, I, I love the mushrooms. Uh, uh, if, I, if I try to counteract that with coffee, that's going to keep me up. Uh, I, I, caffeine doesn't work well with my system. But the mushrooms, you know, they, they they put a little spring in my step uh, a little light in my eyes and uh and uh, add about 20 IQ points and and uh, <laughs> and uh but beyond that there's something about them as i'm quite sure we're all aware that <clears throat> there seems to be some sort of benevolent beneficent spirit behind them that uh that uh it doesn't mind humanity and what humanity is up to and doesn't have it in for us. And uh, I can't imagine, you know, whatever that, uh, whatever that benevolent spirit is, given our history and what we've done to this planet, it's got to be a pretty, uh, a pretty accommodating, uh, that spirit, uh, whatever it is. Because it, it is, uh, we've uh, not shown it our best. And it still seems to like us.
4: Um and, and Bobby, just before you came on, we're talking about some of the meta-studies, and I mentioned several about partner-partner violence reduction associated with psilocybin use, reduction of crime. Uh, the other study that came out was a those who have taken psilocybin just once time, one time or more, are much more pro-environmental and are express anti-authoritarian views. They are not so. Um, you know, taken by authoritarian figures. And so they do have this greater humanity. Uh, I think Muslims inherently bring out the good in people. And when you look at crime and uh, or addiction, and we all know and have friends who are addicted or have you know, suffered. And it's not only them, but it's their immediate family is in the court system, and it's the lawyers, and it's the, the 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 industrial court criminal criminal system that has created a profit motive for churning these victims, uh, who makes their their place in society lower, more challenges because now they're tagged as being an ex-con or something like that. It increases criminality. The yeah, the court system do that because that throws these innocent people who are drug users in a bunch of, in a, in, a, in a prison system with highly professional criminals that then, because of their victimization, because of wanting to fit in that society, they can be criminalized uh, by the, the, the true criminals, you know, who have, who have um, sociopathic, uh, uh, pathological behavior. And so what I think this is so important is that they return to a benefit to society is economically so significant, not only sociologically, but economically, because then it reduces crime. It reduces the the, the tension within the family, your neighbors, your community, your your city, your country, the world. And so I think these are paradigm shifting substances that can lead to a much more peaceful um, and creative society. And you mentioned IQ points. We've been doing a lot of research specifically on neurons and neurogenesis with psilocybin and psilocybin analogs. And now we have evidence of this. We can show that the psilocybin analogs in psilocybin mushrooms, so it's not just a pure psilocybin molecule. It's called the entourage effect. We can show that the psilocybin analogs are naturally present in this mushroom, code for the genetic expression what's called NGF, nerve factors, that stimulate ner- nerves to repair themselves, to cause remyelination and regeneration of neurons. These actually cause an increase in neurogenesis. Which then, you know, as we get age, get older, we start to decline in our cognitive abilities. So, it is true that psilocybin mushrooms. What we've seen now in the laboratory, and we now we're taking to clinical studies to make these measurements. It looks like, and I make the phrase uh, that psilocybin mushrooms may be, may be Einstein mushrooms. They actually increase the intelligence uh, of us. And the the tragedy of age is these encyclopedic, reservoirs of knowledge, our elders, then lose the ability of transferring knowledge to the next generation. What would happen if we had millions of Einsteins uh, surviving into their 80s and 90s to be able to pass on this knowledge? I mean, it lifts up the next generation to a higher state uh, of knowledge. And that's why I think these things are really underestimated. And this is why there's 44 clinical studies or institutions doing clinical studies showing these benefits and they're, they're spread out to addiction and depression, anxiety, creativity. Um, Johns Hopkins is doing anti-Alzheimer's clinical studies with psilocybin uh, as I speak. Uh, so they're... Course of scientists all that and improved approved by the fda and other institutions that are supporting the, the science so what we've known folklorically and what you've experienced uh, uh bobby and and um it may you know this is now rooted in the provable scientific method and that's what i think is interesting is is folkloric use is now substantiated by scientific methodology.
6: Well, the blowback i think we have to somehow learn to anticipate the blowback and where it's going to come from and who it's going to come from. For instance, uh, the fossil fuel industry, uh, is not going to be real happy to see, uh, probably not going to be real happy to see, uh, uh, this, uh, this kind of information get out and, uh, and lots of people going in this direction because it makes you environmentally, uh, more aware. And, uh, that's not a good thing for their business model and uh, and so I, I could anticipate that kind of thing I could anticipate uh, the hardcore Christian right uh, God bless and salt of the earth but they tend to think of everything as a Satanist cult and uh, and, uh, and, and and I'm sure that they uh, they've applied that uh, that 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 label that nomenclature to uh, to the use of mushrooms um, you know if they haven't they're They'll get around to it, Um, and who else?
1: Pharmaceutical
6: Pharmaceutical
3: industry, yeah. I mean the the
6: pharmaceutical sales folks. The the yeah. Well, they're just they're really the pharmaceutical industry are going to want to try to break down the various uh, the various components and and that that are useful components and isolate them and uh, and the the entourage effects. Be damned. Uh, We want to find the the. uh, they, they'll they'll try to I mean, they'll, they'll try to isolate the the various uh, components of uh, of what mushrooms bring to the table and uh, and offer them in uh, in you know prescription form and, uh, and and of course it'll probably be addictive in that case because for instance you know valerian root is uh, is real is real useful. But uh, once they went after that and made Valium out of it, uh, you know, they, it was going to be quite addictive. And, and you know, you, you take away the if you take away the entourage, uh, the entourage components of uh, of, a, of a given substance, uh, and, and isolate one or two elements of it, uh, you start to play with uh, you're playing with fire. Um, but that's what they know how to do. Yeah,
4: Yeah. they're looking for a signal response, uh, you know, with a single molecule, mm-hmm. uh, the magic bullet, so they can identify. Uh, and oftentimes it's been symptom treated as opposed well as to root cause. And right. so they mask the, the symptoms and they say that this is a cure or they get uh, approval because now they can measure a down regulation of the symptoms associated with the disease complex. But we didn't grow up with single. I mean, we grew up with with massive complexity in nature, Matt and we have our receptors are incredibly complicated, uh, especially in terms of our our, our neurons. Um, we're involved in a lot of research right now, specifically on neuro anti-inflammatories. Uh, we can show that the entourage molecules present in psilocybin mushrooms stimulate uh, neurons at the same time they're growing. Uh, it has neuro anti-inflammatory properties. This is really important, especially with COVID right now. And we have been approved, and, and I can announce this. So we are we have a COVID clinical trial ongoing right now, not with psilocybin. <laughs> we'll do that later. I'll but with, that. A, with a turkey tail and a Garacon because of the neuro-anti-inflammatory properties. So it's at clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, we've entered into phase one. Um, so we got approval by the FDA specifically because we're able to upregulate immune readiness at the same time uh, modulate uh, the immune response, response, so you don't have a cytokine storm. You know, don't have an overreaction of the immune system. That then, you know, especially in the late stages of the disease with COVID, this is a real problem. That's why people die from from respiratory arrest, you know, or or heart attacks, just because. The lungs become so gorged uh, because of the over expression of the immune system. And then you get secondary infections that can occur, co-occur, et cetera. So there's a lot, the, the, the complexity of nature and looking at the complexity of the immune system. Now if there's a Venn diagram in science where there's an intersection of the understandings that you can, you know, you need to have enhanced immunity that's modulated. So you have a better ability of preventing infection. But then you don't have the overexpression of immune factors that damage you the host and this is an area and field of science that begrudgingly i think uh, some of the old school conventional pharmacologists are slowly inching towards the idea that um, multiple molecules can be beneficial they found this with aids uh, the anti-hiv drugs as a cocktail That was difficult, but because the urgency of finding a a treatment for AIDS, um, you know, the multi-cocktail approach is now considered to be uh, one of the standard protocols.
1: Is this same principle involved with how you were uh, curing the bee colonies?
4: Yeah, we have um, a big breakthrough in bees, and we just got more evidence uh, two days ago, which I'm really excited about on longevity. And um,
6: you go and do that. Pardon. Would you tell that story? Because uh, uh, this is news to my ears, and I think it's important news.
4: Well, it's a, it's a fun story. And um, uh, let, 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 let me rip for about three minutes on this. Let me tell yeah. you the story. Isn't um, I, I was a beekeeper. I am a beekeeper. And in 1984... I um had two beehives and I had a garden, a garden giant mushroom patch in my wood chips in my garden. And one day in July, I got to my garden to water my mushroom patch, and it's covered with bees. And I see the bees moving the wood chips off to the side, and I look really closely, and I can see them sipping on little droplets coming from the mycelium. These are called extracellular metabolites, little sweat droplets. If you've seen mycelium, they little dro- golden droplets oftentimes on them. And so I, I thought that was curious. I go back the next day and they're back and I go back the next day for 40 days. There's a continuous convoy from my beehives to my garden giant wood chip patch in my garden. So I thought, wow, this is amazing. They're probably going after the sugars because, you know, mycelium liberates sugars from wood and cellulose. So I put it in my and first in the Harrow Smith magazine, 1988. Then I put it in one of my books in 1990, 1999. I forgot about it. Uh, more or less, I didn't really forget about it, but I did have the same context. And then my friend, Louis Schwartzberg, he was doing a, uh, he was a filmmaker, he did Fantastic Fungi, the, the very popular movie right now, and he was doing a, a filming on pollinators. And he said, Paul, do you know about colony collapse disorder? And I had heard about it, and but he had been interviewing the scientists as far worse folks than people know. Colony collapse is sweeping the entire planet. Beekeepers are very proud. They don't want to tell the regulators they've lost most of their beehives, so they under-report. So the reporting that USDA have, we know are under-reports. Oklahoma, two years ago, lost 84% of its beehives. 84%? If you were a herder of sheep or cattle, or you had chickens or a lamb, if you lost 84% of your flock, you know, it is an incredible threat to worldwide food biosecurity. Now, what's happened... Is the there's about five viruses, but the deformed wing virus is the worst. And uh, if you've seen my my presentations, the deformed wing virus, the the bumblebees, for instance, it also infects bumblebees. The bees, the way they have no wings, they just have little sticks. Uh, they can't fly. The uh, bee pollinates up to a thousand flowers per day. And bees used to fly for nine days. The honeybee, for instance. And that means 9,000 flowers, 9,000 almonds, 9,000 cherries, 9,000 apples. You know, this is so important. And now the bee flight is only about five days or four days. Uh, So that's been cut in half. So that's 4,000, 5,000 less apples, cherries, almonds, uh, et cetera. So the deformed wing virus uh, has restricted the lifespan of the, the bees. And now... The varroa mite, which came in the United States around 1984, is like a dirty hypodermic syringe, and they lock on the backs of bees and they inject these viruses into the bees. And so now the bees that are infected, when they go to a flower, they leave these viral particles on the flower and then bumblebees and wild bees come to the flower and they become infected. So now all the bees in the world, it's been stated, are infected with these viruses. It's the most immediate threat to worldwide food biosecurity wow. okay so i had my story L- louie talked to me i got involved with the bioshield program directly after 9 11. you can google my name stamets and smallpox and npr national public radio i had a huge home run with this polypore mushroom called agaricon in the old growth forest and in the top 10 of more than 2 million samples studied by the BioShield program, we have a vetted press release approved by DOD. We hit the home run against bird flu, swine flu, and pox viruses using a natural extract of mycelium, like this excess large droplets. I was on the garden. I made an extract of that mycelium growing in the laboratory. And we hit. We are better than the ribavirons, the and acyclovir, two big antiviral drug uh, controls. So we hit a home run on that. And um, and so I had that thing, you know, after 9-11, but those were in vitro tests. So I heard about the bees. I thought, okay, well, what if these antiviral properties and benefits seen from these polypore mushrooms that we prove in the BioShield program can help bees survive from viruses? And that was my big epiphany. And I, I did that. And working with the USDA and Western State University, uh, and my other scientists get lots of credit. I'm the primary author in an article in Nature, Nature Scientific Reports. So only about 7% of the articles submitted to Nature get approved. So it's a high bar. Um, nice. Our article still to this day is in the top 1% of all articles ever downloaded by other scientists in the Nature Publication Ecosystem. So for the skeptics out there, please go to our article, uh, Extracts of polypore Mushrooms Reduce Viruses in Honeybees. Uh, and look at what we've done. We can reduce viruses, in one case, 45,000 to one with wow. one treatment, wow. putting the extracts into sugar water, which all commercial beekeepers use. Right. Now, the deformed wing virus were about 100. But if you have HIV. Uh, or any virus, if you had HPV, you had, H, uh, you, uh, you had herpes, and you went into a doctor 12 years days later, and they said you have a nearly 1,000 times reduction of your virus. Or with COVID, you can imagine, oh, that's, that's a huge huge uh, improvement. Yeah? Yeah, that's amazing. And so now we've correlated that with longevity. So our article now, I think the reason why it's so, uh, it's in the top 1% of all scientific articles published in, in Nature is that with the first time we're able to prove that a natural product is more powerful than a pharmaceutical, because of the entourage effect, we That's activate right. all these upregulation of immunity that gives your host defensive resistance a much higher state, and uh, being able to withstand with with prevent the virus from replicating and preventing to become reinfected. So this narration I think continues because. I, I think I found something fundamental to the foundation of nature, in that the mycelial networks that grow in the forests influence the immunological health of bees, birds, swine, people. How far more, more does it go? But when we deforest and cut down the forest, we're removing the menu of food for fungi. That can create the guilds of microorganisms that support the homeostasis and the health of the ecosystem. So when we denature nature, when we deforest, we then reduce biodiversity of especially of the microorganisms that are resident, you know, and underneath every footstep that we take. And I think this is a huge breakthrough in understanding that even then some of the scientists like, oh, what's the mode of action? You know, what I want to know what molecule does what. Well, my favorite quote from Voltaire is, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, the fact that you have this benefit that you can measure, the bees live longer. uh, And this is a animal clinical study. Bees are animals. So we're out of the laboratory into animals. Uh, The fact that you can demonstrate that there's an increase now, and we have just this Past week, our scientists at, WC, at Washington State University, huge ex- extension of longevity. So we now can get those bees to live longer, survive longer. And so the ramifications of this, I think, are are just enormous uh, and is a great door for natural products being reexamined uh, for the complexity of benefits that they offer, rather than looking for a sim- simple signal response pathway of one molecule.
1: Wow. It sounds like it would be huge for COVID, like if your, your system is just stronger, you know?
4: Well, so right now, I heard from the CDC, there's 500,000 to a million variants per day of COVID. Every time someone gets infected, yeah, you, there's mutations.
3: Absolutely. And just a
4: few of those, down to the, South, the South African variants, these other variants, they're, and now... I just got the Moderna vaccine, I know it's controversial. Uh, I'm a big believer in vaccines, folks, and we didn't have vaccines, we'd still have smallpox. Yep. And um, so for people who are anti-vaxxers, this is the—it's a, a personal decision. I respect everyone's personal decision, but follow this logic trail for me. If a vaccine kills one person and saves a million, is it justified? I would say, of course, most people would say that. One out of 100,000, probably still justified. One out of 1,000, probably still justified. One out of 100, getting mm, kind of close there, folks. One out of 10, not in my family.
3: Yeah. Right? Right. Right. So yeah.
4: I, I would be against vaccines if they killed one uh, one person and saved nine. But everyone needs to do that math to see where their comfort range is. Smallpox is a clear example, right. polio is a clear example that the vaccines are beneficial. So the problem that we have with COVID, we have so many reservoirs, there's so many mutations that are occurring that they're just announcing that you have to have booster shots. Are we gonna have booster shots every month for yeah. all the new variants? Yeah. Now you're really disturbing the homeostasis of the immune system. I'm really concerned about that. So if we can upregulate immune readiness with these mushrooms, that you prevent these, uh, it doesn't matter what the viral, the viral variant is. Your immune system is educated on alert and able to produce antibodies quickly because you have a higher state of, of, of your immune system in a higher state of readiness. I think this is a pathway that can be an adjunct to conventional therapy, and you know, in time will tell. Um, so we're looking at bird flu now because uh, zoonotic diseases. If you've seen my lectures, I've been talking about zoonotic pandemics for the past twenty years. We will have another viral storm. We've entered in a period oh, of viral hurricanes we will have H5N1, which is 70% fatal. It's not like COVID, you know, 70% fatal with bird flu. These are coming from factory farms because of the the decimation of the natural ecosystems. And factory farming is just a perfect, you know, microbial, you know, launching point or a a contagion soup uh, for the spreading of viruses. So this is now not a one-off event. We have entered a period, I think, of, of permanent viral hurricanes and what are we going to do vaccinate against each one every month you know i think there's there's some evidence that these multiple vaccinations can actually disturb baseline immunity and we're in uncharted territories we just don't know
3: yeah and everybody seems to be in this huge rush to get back to whatever they consider to be normal and and that seems to be the, you know, we were talking earlier about addiction and how um, mushrooms can really help with the treatment of addiction. I think our our society has a huge addiction to feelings and a huge addiction to emotions and preconceived notions. Anyone that suffers with anxiety feels anxiety when you don't feel anxiety. You are addicted to the anxiety. So, you know, the use of psilocybin to help the addictions that we have on our own emotions is, is an incredible part that I'd love to, to talk with you about too. Thanks for listening.
1: We'll be right back with more on comes a time. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at smart
5: wool for more than 25 years. Smart wool has been making Merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good.
4: We have a new app that Dr. Pam and I um, co-developed with two friends, Ismail and Kaylin. that's a quantified citizen. It's called microdose.me. It's uh, just for the Apple, the Droid version. get it, it, a free app, and it measures anxiety and measures depression um, with non-microdosers and microdosers. We have, um, I think, about 15,000 people that have entered into the program. We just we're publishing a paper here in the next month or so Um, And then we have a second paper that shows enormous reduction of anxiety and depression and increasing of mood with microdosing. Um, And we have over 4,400 non-microdosers, people who just wanna measure their cognitive skills and abilities and whether they're developing, they're losing their ability to to remember, you know, to react to the reaction times, there's memory tests. We have over 4,500 people, non-microdosers, and and then 4,000-plus people microdosing. And the statistical significance is just extraordinary, showing the benefit. And then I realized that emotions and anxiety and mood – Affects immunity. So I went on to mm-hmm. PubMed in the Lancet and found articles that show yeah, when people are depressed, their immune systems are actually depressed as well. They're more susceptible to adverse uh, diseases, adverse events from diseases, um, and they're less, um, they have a less probable uh, uh, degree of, of positive outcome using conventional medicine. So and many studies so there's a direct tie to emotional state of being and immunity Uh, and then i realized well if you're happier you're more creative if you're creative you're happier and your immune system then is elevated yeah so i thought well what about microdosing for cancer patients for people who are facing challenging diseases in combination with conventional therapy because by increasing your mood you're increasing your readiness to uh, positively react to conventional therapy as a cofactor so i think there's a direct correlation that this is the evolution of medical science is that if we can get our patients optimistic about the positive outcome the placebo effect is a real effect i mean if your outcome is to help the patient and again, let's not get lost in the weeds. If you know you can increase the mood, uh, expectation as well as reality of the microdosing, that could increase the positive outcome of conventional therapy of people fighting cancer, for instance. If you're depressed, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to die. This is not going to work, but I have to go into surgery. Well, you know, you're you're on that slippery slope of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think that's mm-hmm. interesting. The intersection here between. Psilocybin use and uh, conventional medicine for treating other diseases could be a real opener in enhancing the positive outcomes.
1: You see that with people like if they're um, uh, older people, they've been married for a really long time and the partner dies and then the other one dies like very quickly after that, even though they were fine. But it's that emotional state and and everything just kind of shuts down. You know, I I think all
4: of us us know too many examples of that. Yeah,
1: I was I I keyed in on when you were talking about how I could help with Alzheimer's and stuff. My dad has dementia. He's 90. He just turned 90 on January sixth. Happy birthday, dad, that day. And um, so I told my sisters that I said, I think I want to microdose him just to see if. What happens, you know, so i talked with I talked with them about it, and my mom and everybody, and i I had to I just got off dead company tour, and I showed up, and I was like here 's my idea, I just want to give him a little dose, and then i 'm going to dj all his old favorite jazz records, right so I gave you know i t- showed it to my mom, it just looked like a little booger, is that goose stuff?" <laughs> And I said, Mom, you know, and she she gave me this look, and I showed it to her. I was like, Dad, come on. Let's look this look is little. Like, what's a?" And he just grabbed it and popped it. And I was like, uh-oh. So then my nephews were like, how long do you think it'll take? I said, it usually takes me about 30 minutes to kick it, like 15 minutes. in, they're like, uh, Uncle O'Toole, I think something's, I think it's kicking in. I your, was dad's like, D- your dad's DJing on you,
3: all your old funk yeah, albums. Well, he was just <laughs>
1: sitting on the couch, like, you know, kind of checked out. And so it's just like they could see activity going. So I got the Bluetooth speaker and we hooked up and I just started every time I saw a jazz record label, uh, the album cover that I recognized, I would just start hitting it, you know, six hours straight. My sisters were blown away. We'd never seen him this animated and focused every 20 minutes. He was singing. I don't remember hearing him singing, like singing complicated melodies, two of these old jazz tunes. Every once in a while, he'd look up and he'd go, ladies and gentlemen, that's called bebop. And then he'd go back (laughs) into his thing, you know? It was just like, and then, you know, I was like, wow, this is really real. You could see his computer just like reboot. And it was a man. He was so happy. They said it's the best day he's had in years.
4: Yeah. We, uh, uh, My partner uh, is a medical doctor from Canada, and she's collecting case studies. And we recently just got a case study similar to that um, of a woman in an uh, old home who has Alzheimer's or d- progressive dementia. Um, and then um, the daughter decided to microdose her. I uh, didn't want to add, tell the nurses or tell anyone. And then after about, I don't know how many days it was, um, then um, started, oh, Pam's waving it. Seven days later, she says, <laughs> from microdosing, the nurses and the attendants going, <laughs> mother is much better. She's animated. <laughs> she's talking. She's happy. And uh, then she went, okay, I'm going to maybe start mentioning this, you know? And so we're recording this. We have about 50 50 ones, the the most profound one, which I think is important. And here I'm going to get very, very controversial. And I'm going to say this with all the proper caveats of people, please do not try this. Um, We only have, we have a few examples, but this one potent example, it brings tears to my eyes just remembering it and retelling it. So with all the proper caveats, uh, people uh, consult a qualified medical practitioner, uh, don't take this this story as a roadmap for what you should do. But clinically speaking, I think it's really important. She had an eight-year-old son. She has an eight-year-old son. She wrote me an email. I need to tell you this story. This is not my real name. This is not my real email address. I made it up so I can tell you the story. I have a son who has a an extraordinarily, there's a disorder for it, um, a, an expressive disorder, uh, where he's angry, he's mean, he hurts small animals, he takes pleasure in just doing evil things to hurt and inflict pain. He's a terrorist with his younger, uh, with his siblings. She actually is afraid of him, mm-hmm. of what he could do, and she went to all these therapists. They gave him all these drugs. has just dumbed him down um she's at the at end of her ropes what do i do and she implied that she's afraid that she's raising a ted bundy uh, or, or, or or jeffrey dalmer she's raising a monster and she is terrified of her son in desperation she dosed him with psilocybin fully aware that child protective services could take her son away but she had no other no she's at the end of her ropes she is living in fear the whole family's held hostage to this kid you could do anything and uh, so she dosed him uh, and with her herself and they had this experience and it was a pleasant experience it was you know it, it was it wasn't this breakthrough which had the effects and they went on the next morning that's gonna make me cry she hears this noise in the kitchen. And she, and she, and she like, you know, it's up really early. What's going on? She goes outside. He's washing the dishes. He's sweeping the floor.
1: Wow. He
4: said, Mom, how are you this morning? How can I help you? He started being nice to his to his siblings. He started to stop hurting animals. He had a total change in his personality from this extremely dangerous, you know, sociopathic. You know, individual to someone who was kind and caring, and she goes, "People need to know about this." You know, and so there is a study uh, on psilocybin and autism right now uh, that also I think is interesting. So, the therapeutic use of psilocybin for children, I think, should be uh, us very carefully studied. You know, by the appropriate medical authorities with appropriate controls. All those things, of course, in place. But when you start gathering stories like this, you begin to see a, a theme. And since there are no good drugs for, you know, for you know, except for downregulating, um, you know, these people, I, I call it the, the dimmer switch. They turn down the dimmer switch. Yeah, your child not as much of a problem now, but he doesn't have the personality, the character, the spontaneity factors. He's really been dumbed down. So I, I think this is this is a very interesting opportunity for us to. Create some paradigm-shifting medicines that who's rooted in in psilocybin mushrooms, in particular. And uh, so I'm excited about the future. There's more than 20 startup companies in Canada that have formed in the past two years, trying to exploit. You know, in my mind, trying to exploit uh, from a business point of view, they're economic opportunists. Actually, one of these groups called me, and I said, "You sound like economic opportunists." He goes, "That's exactly what we are." I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. They're Proud of it, and Bob. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I want to work with you,
3: Bob. I would love to ask you. Um, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts because last time you were on when we when we adjourned, you you had thoughts of this podcast being what it is—the four of us sitting here talking. So right. I'm really glad to, you know, that it came to that. This came true, and you know, I'm dying to. I want to thank you first off for even uh, recommending it. Paul, Bob recommended this talk.
6: Well, thank you. Well, Bobby, you have a question, I think. Well, you know, it was an observation actually. Uh, given uh, this, uh, given the the notion that uh, what we may be looking at is a uh, you know a permanent viral hurricane, uh, um, is caused by you know factory farming and uh, or you know industrial agriculture and uh, and uh, and uh, and, uh, and deforestation and. and all of these, uh, uh, all these combined elements. Um, it's, you know, the, 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 concept of Gaia, the, 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 earth is, uh, that the earth is, uh, is an entity, um, uh, much larger than us. And, uh, and, uh, it moves in its own time and and stuff like that. But uh, we could be looking, there's a, there's a a likelihood that we could be looking at the earth's immune system. um, uh, Having isolated the problem that being humanity (laughs) and, uh, and, uh, and okay, well, I guess we'll, we're going to have to just, uh, uh, we're going to have to deal with this uh, and, uh, and knock it back a little bit, if not all the way. Um, and the question that that brings up is, uh, is getting on board with, uh, with, with the earth is, uh, are, are mushrooms, you know, and I think, uh, I, 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 I expect to hear the affirmative, uh, from the, this assembl- assemblage, but, uh, is getting on board, uh, with the, with the earth and, 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 and stopping stopping this uh this this uh this regression this transgression actually that uh, the humanity is uh, is uh is representing is uh are is uh is our mushrooms and and all mushrooms not just uh not just psilocybin mushrooms, but all mushrooms <coughs> are going to be a a, a a necessary component in doing that I, you know or, or at least a useful component. I I would imagine that if you if you studied uh, if you studied uh, oh, you know meditation for instance to uh, to a, a to a, a relatively full degree, uh, and uh, and and came of a came of a, a natural uh, a natural awareness of of all things uh, that that uh, that that would uh, put you in the uh, in the boat with, uh, you know, with those who are on board with uh, with the natural the, the, the way that the planet wants to see things uh, unfold um,
4: well, I, I, I think you're right, but I think the evidence for that is uh, what's happening right now. There's a worldwide surge in interest in mushrooms. I mean the the awakening right now from the mycelial underground i think it's a under it's a revolution from the underground and bob i want you to write a new song about mycelium being the revolution from the underground for the paradigm shift consciousness. i think this is the opportunity here we need a new anthem come on brothers <laughs> um so but i think what's happening now because you know uh, so many of us have been lone rangers uh, with great adversity in our lives i was treated like a leper you know, and um, now this sort of this idea is now is happening all over the world. Uh, the New York Times just two days ago had a big article that Fantastic Fungi Movie, you know, is uh, the number one uh, documentary on on Apple. Um, yes. Well, for many, too. many, many months, you know, and um, nice. so I think there is a, you know, we the the war on drugs, you know, from from Nixon. It was a war on the african-american community is a war on the gay rights community is a war on the environmental movement it was a war on the anti-war movement mm-hmm. you know uh nixon conveniently uh was able to put us all in the same bucket and use drugs and marijuana as the way of of suppressing all these these free uh, these uh, freedoms freedom movements that they the not only the right to vote you know and the right of you know, our individual rights, but our rights to our own consciousness. And so I see this as a consciousness revolution. And when we can show there is an increase to societal benefit in reducing crime and reducing the stress on the courts and the law enforcement uh, and helping community immunity, I, I think this is really a, sort of the Aikido way of creating a, a paradigm shift. And what I've come to realize you know from the recent studies that we have and i wish i could share everything that i that i know about right now but it's just so exciting this idea of increasing neurogenesis increasing intelligence we are you know two hundred thousand to 2 million years ago homo sapiens evolved from homo erectus um there's neanderthals you know also uh, neanderthals came into europe homo erectus was in europe before homo sapiens Uh, only homo sapiens had one migration that kind of died off. The second migration was 40,000 years ago. We all came from Africa. This is why racism to me is such an absurd thing. We all come from Africa. We migrated into Europe. Within 4,000 years of contact of homo sapiens in Europe, Neanderthals became extinct. The homo erectus became extinct earlier than that. But we are not the same homo sapiens as we were 200,000 years ago. I think that psilocybin mushrooms could elicit a, a new evolution of a species of human. And uh, this is our time to take these sacred medicines and this knowledge to be able to actualize the paradigm shift. And before we came on and we are talking about Star Trek... And the wonderful thing I told the writers of Star Trek is that you show the importance of diversity, you show the importance of kindness, of of protecting the commons and, you know, the prime directive and not interfering with cultures. You you demonstrate a way of being that's on a higher level that we are right now. Well, if we can dream and we have maps uh, and we have the way we can imagine our future, we can actualize our future. And so I'm suggesting that... These psilocybin these mushrooms and their analogs, con combined with the context of, of, of natural systems and what all that means, we're at the threshold of creating a new human species. A species at a higher level of evolution, and I propose it could maybe called Homo excelus or something like that. Uh, It, it, whatever name you want to, but we're no longer the the apes that we that we used to be. We're no longer the Homo erectus. We're no longer the Neanderthal. We have common veins, of course. I did a 23andMe study uh, test. I'm a I think 2.75% Neanderthal. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it may, it may show.
5: <laughs> but
4: my point is that, you know, we are at, we're at this accelerated uh, um, rate of increasing um, our consciousness uh, and our way of being and our way of behaving. And I think this past four five years um, are antithetical to that, but I think the pendulum swings. And uh, in contrast, we know now how not to act. It's clearer now. There's no ambiguity, you know, that there was before. Uh, I think that's one of the greatest lessons and benefits from these past several years is we can show you, we can see how dark the dark side is and how how not to be like that. At the same time, we have to put our arms out in forgiveness and extension and generosity. Um You mentioned that the, the Christians might be opposed to this. So I'll tell you a little inside story. I I teach these workshops. You know, I don't teach them now because of COVID. But I've had over 2,000 students come through. And I had this very quiet, nice, gentle man come through. And he waited till everyone was done, he went out of my little classroom. And he said, Um, I want to tell you something. I'll tell you why I'm here. I said, well, great. Well, why are you here? So I came here to meet you. And I said... Really? He says, yeah, B- Billy Graham sent me.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I said, what? My mother's a charismatic Christian. I said, really? He says, yeah, I'm in the inner circle of Billy Graham. And many of us have come to Christ through psilocybin mushrooms. And yep. that we use, we use psilocybin mushrooms in order to become closer to Christ.
1: Uh, this is wow. one of the things I wanted to talk yeah, to you about like, specifically. Because yeah. I so saw I, that I, in I, your movie.
4: Yeah, I was like, whoa! I was really surprised, you know. And but, you know, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Right. You know, I believe that there's, there's a convergence of spiritual spirituality and science right now. Who could not be uh, spiritual when you look at the enormity of the universe and what's happening with astronomy? Um, but I, I like the reaching across the aisle, and, and saying, yeah, you know, I've had high doses of psilocybin mushrooms. I've had these Christ-like experiences, and but I think that. You know the golden rule pervades all religions do unto others as you would have them do unto you and uh so i i welcomed him that was his way of coming into his religious beliefs but the fact that they honored psilocybin mushrooms as a christian sacrament uh and um and it was a very hidden secret Billy Graham has died and and uh but this happened this actually did happen and so I think it's also the thing about saving the bees, saving the bees is a number one bridge between conservatives and liberals. (laughs) So if you wanna have a non-political conversation, talk about saving the bees, the farmers wanna save the bees, the hippies wanna save the bees. So I proposed in Washington state to a bunch of the the state legislature, I had had to testify. I said, listen, tax the stoners to support the bee research (laughs) because the farmers will be behind be behind it and the stoners will go yeah save the bees oh yeah tax marijuana that's fine with me so anyhow i I think this is where we need to build bridges you know with with humor and kindness and respect i come from a family of farmers we had over ten thousand acres of wheat in eastern washington and my family farm went to no-till farming uh, against against the grain Uh, literally against the grain, they're wheat farmers. And I, we visited the farm and, and um, my cousin, who was in charge of the farm, he had about 3,000, 4,000 acres at that time. Um, he said, yeah, we went to no-till. And I got a lot of opposition from this. And he goes, my crop yields did go down for three years. But I said, now look at my yield, our yields now. And our farm was no-till, beautiful, beautiful farm, no erosion channels at all. The next door farm, conventional, Killing conventional uh, fertilizers, et cetera, eroded with huge, you know, know, little canyons of erosion. Uh, And they were addicted now to the fertilizers and the the GMO crops that required the herbicides, et cetera, in order to maintain that system. And so I'm just what I'm saying is that organic agriculture is now showing proof of economic returns. Um, and there, there is this bridging of permaculture to conventional agriculture to farmers who want to use less inputs and depend more on natural systems. So many conservatives and farmers are, are very much wedded into protecting nature. They just need the right narrative and tools to be able to elocute this. And also the bottom line is that they get more money in their bank account. And if you can prove that, then you've won the battle.
1: You know, I wasn't raised religious and I had full on like Star Trek Outer Limits religious experience when I hit bottom at 40. And I've ended up studying theology and I'm still a theology geek, even though I do not, I'm not a member of any church or denomination or anything like that. But I've always thought because I did trip when I was like 17 and had, that was my first like religious experience, not being raised with it. And for the time that I was going to church, non charismatic church, I will say, because I think it's different for them. It's different in black church and it's different in charismatic white churches where they do get to that religious experience thing. But a lot of the other churches I went to, I was like, these people believe it, and a lot of them have sincere hearts. Some of them are just following what they're told. But I was like, I don't think they've ever. I would ask them. I was like, Have you ever had like something weird beyond just deja vu, which I think is legit, but they might write off. But you know, a lot of them hadn't. They and I, I thought, man, you know, a lot of these cats should microdose just to see actually what the people that they were following were seeing what I believed they were seeing. Because there is that component of like, you know, when I first started tripping as a, as a teenager, I would, now I realize I was only doing about 50 mics. I was just doing like a half a hit and we would just talk and everything came down to like what I landed on after. I was like, yeah, everything's just messed up because of a lack of love, you know? And I never let go of that belief. And now i play with guys that were in the Grateful Dead, like it clearly is a throughput of my life. But like what, Bob, what you were talking about, there's this, you know, there's this uh, benevolent spirit of it. You know what, it's real. And maybe that's, there's a benevolent spirit of the earth. And so I want to try to use it as a, because I believe a lot of Christians a lot more christians are doing it on the slide just like they smoke weed i know they are well, and it's a great bridge to to connect with them over an actual religious experience
3: you know and, and and you know like to to add on what prompted the conversation paul between bob and us that led to having you here was i you know told bob that you know i'm one of those folks that have been on and off of a anti-anxiety medication or an antidepressant or a, and I've tripped before. And I know that that feeling of love, self-love and self-acceptance and silencing the critic is a real thing. And I took it upon myself to take myself off of an anti-anxiety medication, went through the withdrawals and the brain zaps and the sleepless nights and the, you know, sweating and all of that to bring myself through a microdose a month where I kind of wing in a prayer, tried to figure out how to do it and uh, had moments of like, you know, I'm someone who the second my butt hits the couch, the critics, like, you don't deserve a rest. You have so much you haven't done yet. And there's so much you did wrong and blah, blah, blah. And for the first time in probably my adult life, I was able to sit and just relax with myself for, you know, and look at the clock and go, Oh my God, 45 minutes of transcendence just went by, you know, and that's like what it really brought me. And, and I think about how many people I know personally that it would help that are just constantly beating themselves up. And at the end of 2020, we find that one in six Americans have gone to therapy for the first time. That's 50 million people in the past, in the year of this pandemic. So, You know, it's so important that we bring up and I'd I'd be remiss not to bring it up before, you know, our time is up. But there are micro dosing has kind of become this new term, you know, and a lot of people are kind of, you know, trying it as best they can and not really sure how to do it and so on and so forth. I could personally say that it was something that really gave me the feeling that there is hope. And 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 with yeah. you with you here, and, it's it's extremely important. I think that we kind of you know talk about that if that's okay with you.
4: Yeah. Well, the, the reality is, ninety nine percent of people taking psilocybin are going to take it in form of psilocybin mushrooms, irrespective of whether it's medicalized or not. Um, so the push for the pharmac- pharmaceuticalization of psilocybin is profit driven, uh, primarily. Uh, by economic opportunists, uh, who I don't think some of them do, but most of them have are not inspired from the heart. They're inspired because they see many people make money on marijuana. You know, they want to make money, and uh, making money is a as a tertiary aspect of this. You know, for those of us who understand these these substances well and hold them as sacred medicines, um, so. I do think if it is going to be used, prescription, um, or is going to be used therapeutically for maximum benefit, we have to standardize. And we have to make sure that they're safe. Um, so one of the things that I, that, that Burning Man, for instance, um, I don't popularize this, but you can just imagine people come up to me and they show me mushrooms, I go, I can't touch them because as soon as I touch them, you know, I've committed a crime. Um, and I have been really quite impressed with the quality um, of these mushrooms. They're a closed cap. The veils are still attached from the cap to the stem. Um, they're golden, you know, in color. Been, they, 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 you know, it's like any economy. Uh, customers, you know, have an influence uh, on increasing quality. But that being said... And there is a lot of mushrooms in the so-called underground that are contaminated with bacteria. Bacteria have endotoxins. They're called lipopolysaccharides that cause inflammation. Uh, There can be GI upset. Um, And because people are trying to make money, even in the underground, you know, they're not motivated by spirituality. Many, most of them, you know, some of them might have that as window dressing. Um, But there is a need for standardization of, um, of natural forms of psilocybin. And um, there is uh, 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 we all pay a lot of money in taxes. One of my big issues with the psilocybin mushroom undergrounds are not paying their fair share uh, back to society. They should be taxed. They're using our roads. They're using the post office. They're using the fire department. Um, you can't cloak yourself. that I'm just doing this to, for spiritual benefit and just make money. Um, then your motivations, I think, are you know, are not in the right place. So standardization is important. Oregon now has uh, legalized the for therapeutic use. Um, you know, there's a decriminalization movement, which I, I applaud. Uh, I, I applaud it with one reservation, and that is something I'm very strongly an advocate of. I think we should leave the peyote for the peyote people. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about San 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 Pedro. I'm talking about the wild harvesting of the peyote cactus. Uh, since it's so critically important for the peyote people and their journey and their history, may uh, I think that, you know, we should protect that. Uh, we should... Uh, you know, simple possession is one thing, but we should not allow the trafficking of peyote commercially, except with indigenous people, you know, of, of Texas and, and in Mexico, where the peyote hunt is so important for them and their cosmology. Um, When it comes to psilocybin mushrooms, they're used around the world. There's over 219 species uh, of uh, mushrooms in the genus psilocybin, 119 are psilocybin active. So whether you're in Europe or Ireland or in the Mazatec region or down in in Peru or in Amazonia, um, in Norway, um, psilocybin mushrooms are growing there. It's, it's kind of the universal bridge of psychedelics that bridges all cultures. Um, so I think that uh, is, may also make psilocybin very, very um, interesting and puts it uh, aside in, in many ways because it is cross-cultural. And so no one owns a quote unquote patent on the psilocybin mushroom use. I went to Peru. I've been to, uh, down to Peru and I was shocked by the ayahuasca uh, neon signs and then uh, you know advertising that you could you know it's like tourist traps you know uh, i i have an issue with that i, I think uh, ayahuasca um, and even though it's had profound benefits which i don't discount absolutely on board with that i i i am concerned about cultural appropriation um because the advantage of many indigenous cultures, and cultures is they have a a continuous use of this uninterrupted and they've set up rituals of use that protect people and, uh, and with a lot of us displaced peoples, we've lost many of the rituals that our ancestors practiced. So we need to set up new conventional rituals uh, that use the best of the wisdom uh, of the past to be able, not to replicate a Mazatec ceremony, but just like what is a good conventional therapeutic set and setting. If you've never done this before, doing it uh, with another person who's experienced, uh, there's a strong advocacy uh, uh, in the psychedelic therapeutic, therapeutic community of a man and a woman uh, that are watchers. So it's just not a man, it's not, it's not a woman's. Yeah. So you you reduce, reduce that anxiety of, of sexual exploitation or having one dominant figure. So having it with two watchers, uh, most of us who are psychologically stable, we don't need to have that, but people who are journeying for, or tripping for the first time do need to feel protected. Um, I, one of my books, I have a, a great a chapter, I like, I, I euphemistically called it Good, Good Tips for Great Trips, <laughs> and it's basically how to set up a set and setting. Um, so, you know, staying warm, being in a, fu- uh, having a fire, having a protected environment, making sure those watchers, oops, making sure that uh, no one can uh, unexpectedly show up, you know, and interfere with your experience. I think all those things are, are helpful. Uh, those people who have a need for therapy, um, they need to have a therapist there, they need to have a professional. And so I think we have to be extremely careful going forward because one person jumps out of a 12 story building tripping on psilocybin
3: yeah it's all uh, and, yeah. and
4: and and, bl- and blames the, the you know the the legalization or decriminalization their parents that's what happened with the john birchers right the john birch society very notorious with some of their children tripping on lsd freaking out and they pick it up as a as their lifelong mission to destroy anyone promoting the use of psychedelics so we have to be very careful about that
1: Well, it's always, if it's framed as a, or used as just a party drug, it's like, come on, man. Like, that's not, that's not what I ever used it for. And that was just natural. It wasn't even, uh, premeditated. We have to
6: deal with the, uh, the, the, the way it's been sort of pigeonholed, uh, as a, as a, a party drug or, or something like that. When, uh, when really for, uh, for people who use it, it's, uh is anything but uh, anything but um, uh, what am I looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's, it's not entertainment, it's adventure, Uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a profound, uh, it's an adventure of a profound uh, sort. And, uh, and that has to be, uh, that has to be understood, I guess, promoted and understood so that, uh, so this, this, this uh, patina of uh, of indulgence and, and stuff like that uh, is uh, is uh, taken away
3: because cl- really,
6: yeah. you know, is, this is not this is not idle. Uh, this is not an idle pursuit for the, for the folks who who are who are involved.
3: And speaking of yeah, someone do it who's been, oh, go ahead. Been, no, I was just gonna say to to echo Bob's sentiment. Speaking of someone who's been in you know, on the lawn at a concert, you know, and, and uh, having some beers and then, you know, you take off and achieve liftoff. The last thing you want is that beer. You kind of just stand Mm -hmm. there with your hands in your pockets going, holy cow, here we go. And it's a, it's, it's, it's game time. It's no longer, uh, and, and that's, you're right. A lot of this, this idea of it being a, uh, which also can be very detrimental for a lot of people who think that they're there for the party, and they maybe, you know, take a little bit too much or whatever. And then that's the one who, you know, the bad, the bad meal gets 10 more, you know, reviews than the good one. Right, yeah. Unfortunately. Well, it's what you're going into it
1: with, you know. Like yeah. what the times that I use it with Dead & Company, there's a really specific reason. And that's connection. When, yeah. got, when we all connect, something telepathic and magical happens. And that's what I'm seeking. I'm not there to like, oh, wow, man, let's do, you know, I never tripped to see crazy stuff. I was never into that. I have one trip like that where I took three hits and I saw all kinds of, I didn't like it at all. Not to say that there's no use for that either, but that's not what I was seeking out of it. Mm. I was seeking uh, connection, revelation back then as a 19 year old. But now, you know, uh, and I even think I'm probably not even going to do it. I could see myself like not doing it anymore because I want to get there without it. Like I know the pathway There's to that re- connection, but Always it's a there. convenience. You know what I mean? And and when we, and I do it for that. And then it becomes like, especially when it happens over and over again and the whole crowd knows it, you know, they're like, ah, you know, cause you, you, Telepathy—that group mind takes hold, and it's it's going back and forth from us to the audience. It's not just on the bandstand. It's like it's a really incredible thing.
6: And to, to be sure, there are also people who are who are spliced heavily spliced into that telepathic connection who who've taken no substances whatsoever. Absolutely, there are also people who are drunk off their asses who are also spliced in. Um, right. So it's it's, it's it's not a discriminatory sort of situation, um, but still, you know, it's it's the spirit of the endeavor, really. You know, we we are we're, we're questing there, and uh, and uh, and I think that may be the uh, the, the 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 elemental um, thing that brings us all together is that, that spirit of quest. And um, and I think we we rally around that and uh, and you know if the, if the mushrooms help. Yeah. The amazing thing about these mushrooms
4: is that they tend to fail uh, trail uh, follow the debris trails of humans, and so many of the psilocybin mushrooms, besides uh, you know growing with cow patties, but the majority of the psilocybin mushrooms are grow on wood. And yet they're very hard to find, especially in North America, in native environments. But as soon as you start chipping wood or using beauty bark or building a house, then these eye mushrooms spring up. And that's why it was so surprising in the 1970s. These mycologists in these universities had never seen them. And then the hippie, the students on campus started picking them out of the wood chips and bringing into the botany lab uh, 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 the Botanists and the laboratory saying, What are these? And my colleges have worked there for 30 years had never seen them before. So it's interesting. They they follow the debris fields of humans. And it's almost like they're following catastrophes that humans are creating. And then they then they are reaching up to us. But there's one thing I really wanted I wanted to share with you as musicians that I think is just astonishing, and it was a big epiphany for me. In a very obscure scientific paper, I'm interested in, I I grow lots of mycelium, we grow about 20,000 kilos of mycelium a a week in my laboratories. Uh, All edible vegetables, folks, not (laughs) psilocybin, at least not yet. Um, And um, so I'm really interested in the environmental influences on the growth of mycelium, light, temperature oxygen and for years and years and bobby you'll love this the dead have been with me in my laboratories you know since the 70s from the front of the scanning electron microscope you know dark star you know terrapin station you know and and um i like the long ones um so but (laughs) the um this research paper that's very obscure looked on um sound frequency on the influence of mycelium and they look at higher frequency, different frequencies, et cetera. And they were able to find um, that low-frequency sound waves dramatically increase the growth of mycelium. And the so bass? I was, yeah, it enhanced the growth of mycelium. So I've always had this, like, world beat, you know, sort of, you know, Grateful Dead, you know, this, this, this music that resonated, that would reverberate in my laboratories. I just did it because of my own personal preference. but. Now I have a better understanding, but if you think through this, that these mycelial networks underneath your feet, they're not only digestive membranes range, breaking down nutrients, you know, breaking down wooden plants for absorption of nutrients and helping plants grow. They're not only externalized lungs exhaling carbon dioxide, inhaling oxygen. They're not only externalized neurological networks that are sensing uh, the ecosystem and, and navigating through it for the benefit of the commons, but our tribal ancestors, our current musicians today, when you're playing the bass otele, you know, or uh, or th- there's drumming and these these low frequency sound waves are stimulating the mycelial networks. Well, it dawned on me that then with tribal communities, when they come together to celebrate a wedding, the birth of a child, uh, a harvest, and there's groups of people that are playing drums, et cetera, these mycelial networks in nature are listening like strings on a bass, like strings on a guitar, like like strings on a piano, uh, or a violin. Is that the, by messaging to the mycelium via sound waves, you're stimulating the mycelium to grow faster. And what that is doing is providing more nutrients to the, the trees that are producing fruit, more nutrients to vegetables that are producing crops. So nature indeed is really listening. Wow. And then being able to have the interface of music to the mycelial networks that are reverberating—I mean, there's there's several miles of mycelium per cubic inch. And these are fine threads, like the strings on a, on a on a bass, and they are reverberating and stimulated by music. This, to me, is profound. It means that those people that are celebrating nature with music are actually enhancing food, biosecurity, enhancing the integrity of the ecosystem, there is a direct connection, I think, between music, mycelium, and environmental health.
3: Which would this now be like, a perfect time to announce Dead & Company's next tour.
6: Speaking of which, i got—I got to get to the studio. Yeah, so I got- absolutely.
1: Thank yeah. you guys so much. Like, wow. Uh, wow. Bob, yeah, was- thank you for taking the time out. Thank you for taking the time, Paul. This is like the best uh, podcast Brad, let, ever.
6: Pick this back up,
1: please. <laughs>
6: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Have a great rehearsal uh, or a practice session, Bob. Bless okay. you, man, hey, to pick Bob, this back up.
4: We need, we, we need a, a new anthem. So, you know, uh, <laughs> no pressure,
6: Bob, uh,
2: no, no pressure there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, right brothers. Dad. Bye
6: let's bye. Pick this back up. Let's, pick this, let's pick this back up. Absolutely. All right. Please. please. All right. That would all be right, everybody. All
1: right. Bless you. Thank you. Guys. you. Bless bye. you all.
0: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat?
6: Were they shot? Were they shot?
0: Would you kill?
6: Yes. My mom is dead. My mom is right there.
0: From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new True Crime History Podcast.